Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio in association with Fidelity Investments. We are the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you news in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember you can hear Tech Radio on air with RTE Radio uh, Friday evenings or anytime you like with your favourite Apple, Google or Spotify podcasting app. If you're on Apple Podcasts, do leave us a five-star review because it helps enormously. Uh, We also keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Later on in the show, we're going to be chatting with Tony Sheridan from our sponsor, Fidelity Investments, about how you can stay innovative while remote working. We'll also find out more about how you can virtually join this global leader in fintech innovation from the safety of your own home. Mm, that's all to come. Right now, let's kick off episode 825. Uh, joining me, as always, is our editor and our leader and our inspiration, Niall Kitson. How are you? Almost live and direct from the COVID kitchen. From the COVID kitchen. I think this COVID kitchen, do you think the COVID kitchen is going to be like, you know, the permanent location? Is, is there ever going to be a time where we're going to get back into a studio? Is do there ever going what? to be a time we're going to get back into the office? According to the good people at Fujitsu, possibly not. And uh, I put this in the context of a story that emerged uh, earlier this week about their plans for their uh, workforce in Japan, where they have brought in a program that they're calling Work Life Shift, which involves basically sending 80,000 of their staff home. Just get 80,000 of their Japanese staff to work from home. The exact statement on this is uh, they want their staff to achieve a work style that allows them to use their time flexibly according to the content of their work, business roles and lifestyle. That sounds very laudable, doesn't it? Yeah, but like many things that are said by management and companies, it's all designed to sound laudable, but there's dark ulterior motives behind it. <laughs> ah, you are absolutely right. Uh, and if you if you want to read between the lines, yeah. uh, one of the, the great outlays companies have, of course, is rent. And it's a, it's estimated that by making this move, Fujitsu can reduce their physical workspace by fifty percent. That is a big saving. Is that a massive? And then when you think about uh, all the rent or the investment or the mortgage payments or whatever that has to go with that, and then you've got all the insurance that goes with that, and then you've got mm-hmm. all the electricity and then all of the service. And the, I mean, it is a huge part of any company having a place for uh, for people to work. But mm, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm disappointed with that news. It sounds great, but I'm disappointed with it. Uh, OK, why are you disappointed? I think it's um, to do with a camaraderie. And actually, do you know what? This, this is the perfect show that we have a, a Tony on this week because it's all about, you know, working from home is a very soul kind of experience. Do you know what I mean? And having that uh, interaction and be able to bounce off for other people and to feel part of a team and all that kind of stuff, I think is very important. Ah, yes, right. I see where you're where you're coming from now. But uh, I think there's there's three challenges that companies face, particularly in Ireland, maybe maybe not so much overseas. But um, when it comes to um, to staff, it's getting them, keeping them and knowing where to put them. And for years, I was interviewing startups over here who said, look, we want to hire more people, but there's just a drought of office space at the moment. We, we just 
don't know where to put people. So if you have a culture of remote working uh, where, you know, a company just pays a, a little bit of a stipend to cover your bills while you're in the office, um, while they uh, while you're at home, while they save much, much more uh, on rent. Uh, I think that's a pretty good solution for a lot of people, especially People like yourself, myself, who are working in media, we're, we're fairly mobile. Uh, it's not a problem. If you look at companies like GitHub, they have a, a completely uh, dispersed uh, workforce. That's, you know, that works really well for them, uh, perhaps too well in some cases. You remember that we had um, our expert on from GitHub who said that she had to actually stop members of her teams from working from time to time because they're putting in too many hours. So, you know, there's upsides and downsides to it. Of course, uh, over here, Facebook and Twitter basically sent people home, Google as well, until the end of the year. And Twitter said, you know what, just stay home if you want. We mm. have an office, but if you want to come in, that's fine. Yeah. But, you know, they have 150 people, uh, 150, give or take, compared to Facebook and Google, which employ thousands over here. Yeah. So it's yeah. a much more unwieldy prospect. Mm. Listen, don't, don't get me wrong. I think the, the whole remote working thing and the working from home, and especially because you and I do it, is fantastic. I absolutely love it, but I would hate it to be the only solution. It's kind of like, you know, in years gone by, working nine to five, Monday to Friday was the only way of doing things. That mm-hmm. wasn't good. It's just, uh, maybe a bit of mix and match. Um, listen, let's uh, move on with the uh, oh news from here in Ireland. The government have got their uh, COVID-19 app and it's proving to be quite a success. A million downloads within two days. That's I, not bad at all. Are you one of the downloaders? I am indeed, yeah, Ex- yeah. Because, explain, you know, explain it all to us then. It's it's actually it's a very easy download. Uh, I ideally, if you have iOS thirteen point five and above, or the most recent version of Android, um, quick quick download from the App Store of your choice, and basically it doesn't ask you for that much in the way of personal information. Uh, it's it has quite a nice interface. You just give it some basic information, and um, it basically every morning you check in and it just asks you how are you feeling today. And you say, yes, I'm feeling grand or no, I'm displaying some symptoms. Uh, And if you're feeling grand, you get a bit of a thumbs up. Uh, What I really like about it is that it shows, uh, just gives you some nice data points for the day. It's just how many people have been hospitalized, how many people have been diagnosed, how many people have been in in intensive care. Um, uh, Just just, uh, numbers like that, that actually make you feel part of the process of, um, uh, it makes you feel like you're pulling your weight in the COVID-19 recovery effort, if you will, um, which which I quite like. Uh, it's very easy to use, very colourful. You can also, in a, if you have the, the more up-to-date versions, you can enable Bluetooth tracking, um, which is anonymous, but it can it, it, the app can tell you when you have been around somebody that has tested positive or is displaying symptoms. Now, here's the only thing I have in the back of my mind about those apps is if the app does tell you that you were near somebody with COVID-19, how does that make mm. you feel? Um, cautious. Cautious. It, it'd certainly make you a lot more... Um, yeah, it, w- it would make you an awful lot more self-aware as to mm. what your health is like. Mm. Um if you find yourself with a bit of a fever the following day, well, you're more likely to be um, very careful and to report to your GP uh, uh, or to ring up the helpline and say, look, I've got a problem mm. here. Um, can we get tested? And the, the time to test is way down uh, at the moment and time time to results is way down as well. Because uh, one of the nice things that they have in the app is the graph 
and it shows the rate of spread of COVID-19 in the population and also its rate of decline. Uh, and you can absolutely see how the efforts of flattening the curve have kicked in um, from mid-April onwards. It's a very steady decline. So you see it rising up until mid to late April when it peaked and then it's been a, a steady decline and it's now sort of bobbling along the you know, 15 cases or, or less mark. Well, listen, as you say, it's only out a couple of days, so we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that over the next week. Last news story. Um, I'm, I'm just devastated by this story from Hong Kong. You're, you're very fond of Hong Kong. I actually. love you, you, Hong Kong. It's my favourite city on the entire planet. Uh, because of the tech markets and, and I imagine the culture as well. It's the culture, it's the food, it's the people, it's the tech markets. It's just the sheer energy in there. And I often describe it to people like when I was growing up, uh, you always look towards New York as being a city full of energy. And then when I went mm. to New York, it was kind of, it was actually a lot more laid back than I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> but when I went to Hong Kong, oh my God, that place was plugged in. And that's what I love. it. Anyway, tell me what's happened in Hong Kong. Yeah, well, I'm sure you've been following the uh, political situation there at the moment, where the very short version is that um, China was due to have more political influence in Hong Kong from 2047 onwards. Um, The current political climate there sees um, the population recognising that China is encroaching on how uh, the city is governed. I don't want to get too far into the uh, into the situation beyond the confines of the show, but basically a new law has been passed uh, that has very vague ter- terms where China uh, can target separatists, terrorists, people involved in subversion and those involved with collusion with foreign countries. Very, very broad wording. You can pretty much pull in anyone uh, and arrest anyone under those terms. But uh, what we are seeing is an explosion in the downloading of encrypted messaging apps and VPNs, virtual private networks. So Signal at the moment is considered the gold standard of end-to-end encrypted apps. This is actually the app that Ed Snowden used mm. while while he was um, uh, gaining his own uh, gaining his own version of well, not notoriety, but while he was um, doing his material, thing. doing his thing. Uh, there's also, of course, Telegram and. Uh, However, Telegram is another encrypted messaging app, but they actually do hang on to your data. So uh, what was interesting when um, these services were approached was Telegram said, no, we're not handing over our data. We're not handing over anything to do with Hong Kong. Um, it's possible they said it was, it was hosted overseas. I can't remember the exact details. Uh, Signal were able to say, we don't have data. <laughs> End of. <laughs> End of. That's, that's, that's the, whole, the whole point of our service is that we don't have data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which is great. So it is really attracting a lot of people um, to the app. It's it's a very sorry state of affairs mm. that people are feeling the need for these apps. Mm. Um, but it's interesting and positive to see there are technological solutions out there to protect freedom of speech. Yeah, until you get to a situation where the government does its best to uh, ban those apps. Well, I mean, this is this is a, another discussion that is that is going to be had. But again, if you're downloading uh, an app, maybe o- over a, a different marketplace over VPN, yeah, you know, I'm sure there are ways and means of this getting is, these it's apps. It's like on your anything phone. else in life, uh, Niall. Do you know what I mean? There's very little that can be thrown at you and I that we can't find a workaround. All right, but mm-hmm. uh, it's your mom or my mom. Wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. be finding that. So like you're going to, if you, if you impose those restrictions, you're going to hit like maybe 80% of the people and then the other 20% of geeks 
as we mm. proudly are. Um, we'll get around. <laughs> anyway, listen, that is it. That is it uh, for the news this week. Niall, thank you as always. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. As we were just saying in the news, times are uncertain, but that does not mean that your job or even your future career has to be. Companies all over the world are having to change the way that they work. But in this age where remote or home working is becoming the norm, how is it possible to maintain a culture of innovation where people can get the most out of their jobs? Tony Sheridan is Vice President of Technology Management with Fidelity Investments, and it's his job to find out how to get the best from people, even in these trying times. He spoke with Niall Kitson of the week to explain how you can stay creative in a crisis. I guess the first question that our listeners will want to know is what defines an innovation culture? So, so, so when I think of innovation culture, there are a number of considerations that come to mind. One is, you know, what, what, what does innovation mean to you as an organisation? So I think that's the first thing that you need to, to figure out. Then you need to look at what is the scope? So what does, it, what does innovation apply to? And then there's a couple of things around values and principles. So what, what, are your, what are your values and what are your principles that you want to support an innovation culture within your organization? So, so when you think of innovation, um, you know, I, I, I think of innovation that has to include everybody. So anybody can innovate. And when, I, when I'm asked for a definition of what does innovation mean, I, I think about it's, it's doing something differently that adds value to the organization. And that, to me, is a very broad view of what innovation can be. So when you think of that and then you think about, well, what is the scope of your innovation? So previously, you know, we talked about, you know, big I and small I, you know, big innovation, small innovation. Industry now has changed their view slightly there. They're talking about sustaining innovation, breakthrough innovation, disruptive innovation. So, so within these three categories, if you think of sustaining innovation, that's, you know, that's your, your everyday work that you do as a, as a technologist or as a, as a support person or as an operations person. There are improvements that you can make. And by tackling those improvements and building on those improvements over time, you are contributing to innovation um, at all times in the organization. Breakthrough is more when you have done something quite radical to maybe an existing product or an existing service. And that requires more investment um, from within the organization to, to, to manufacture. And then the last piece is the disruptive. And this is where, you know, the new products, the new services that enter the market and really disrupt the marketplace. So those, those, those three things are, are the scope and the definition of innovation that allows an organization to pull everybody in to be very inclusive in their innovation culture. I suppose the enemy then of innovation is process. 
that you know people are very comfortable in their jobs they're comfortable with how things are doing if they work in a large organization maybe they feel kind of insulated from things like you know financials or overall company performance so how do you get a message out to somebody that perhaps isn't working in a field that's uh, you know uh, synonymous with um uh, innovation like say you know administration or accounts or something like that to get them to look at their jobs slightly differently and to realize that you know I can contribute to the way we do business as opposed to the products that we're famous for yeah so I, I think this is where we get into some of the values and principles that you need as part of your innovation culture so so if you think of that, what type of values do you want an organization to have and do you want associates to to have? So so if you think of, and, and we talk about three, the three C's, we, we talk about courage, curiosity, and collaboration. So if you, if you take those individually, if you think of curiosity, so this is where anybody in the organization can come up with and, and seek out different ways of doing things. And if, if, you, if that's part of your value system and people feel comfortable that they can be curious, that they can question, that they can bring stuff from the outside in, um, that's a really uh, valuable trait to have. The other two then, courage and collaboration. So if you think about courage for, for a moment and you think about, you know, if you do come up with an idea, how, how do I bring that into the organization? Is it okay for me to do that? Am I, am I going to be, you know, if I try something new and I fail, am I going to be punished? And to have, to have a value set where people feel empowered to try stuff, I think that is where it tackles the problem that you, you outlined the, the and as was the last piece then is collaboration. I mean, we, we I think we have a culture sometimes um, in Ireland where people will see a problem, they'll fix it, and they'll move on. And and sometimes they forget to share how they've fixed an issue um, with with their colleagues. And I think getting that collaboration in when a you fix a problem or b you need help in fixing a problem is really important in an organisation. That's a really interesting point you made there about, you know, Irish people maybe just fixing a problem and moving on. When you're dealing with innovation in large organisations that are, say, multinationals, do you find that culture clash exists very often where you will find, you know, somebody from one country, that's just the way they deal with something and maybe they are prone to gatekeeping or, you know, in another country, they're, they're prone to just, you know, blurting out absolutely everything they've done. Yeah, so, so I, I think this is this is where it gets really interesting for me. I mean, I I'm a big advocate of diversity and inclusion in an organisation. I think that you know if you just if you if you limit your thinking or you limit your your exposure just to one type, uh, you're, you're not going to grow innovation across an organisation. You need you need diversity from culture, from thought diversity, even personality diversity. I mean, people that are extroverts and people that are introverts, they tackle things differently. And it's about pulling all of that together 
and really coming up with a, a collective way of solving things. I think that that's where that's where it, it gets really rich in an organization um, when you have a when you have a strong diversity. And as I explained to you, it's you know, broadening out your your definition of innovation where you can include everybody in that. That presents a fairly unique challenge to management to be able to identify and manage uh, different cultures, different perspectives, different personalities. Um, and I think it can really show up companies that have adopted, P, uh, say, the Peter's principle where you, you promote particularly inept people out of the way uh, and just have them managing people instead of ruining everybody else's day job. Um, so do you see managers sort of really reevaluating their perspective, not just as, you know, uh, overseers, but as facilitators as well? Yeah, I, 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 do, I do. I mean, I, I think, you know, the whole management and leadership within, within organisations and particularly the large corporate organisations is changing um, and, and it's changed. And it, it's gradually changing over time. I, I feel that, and I can certainly talk to myself that um, my leadership style has changed over years, where it's become much more um, of a servant leadership um, approach, where I am very interested in the health of the organization. And sometimes when people ask me what I do, I said I, I, I manage the health of the organization rather than managing people. And, and it's about, you, know, you talked about facilitating, it's about enabling people um, to express their ideas, to explore and experiment. And to me, that's now become really important in, in corporations. Yeah, so one critique of that view might be that it's coming from a almost a soft science perspective that if you can't equate what you do to a direct line of revenue, it's it, it can be a tough sell. So how do you how do you get the message across that look, what I do affects and helps everybody and the entire health of the organization that it's 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 not accurate to look at what I do as such, but the overall company performance, whether people are coming to work and staying, whether people are putting in, you know, extra hours and projects, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah but I, I think looking at the health of the organization gets down to that level right across the organization. I mean, uh, when I look at my responsibilities, I feel that, um, you know, how, how long people work, what they're doing, the interest that they have in the work that they're doing, empowering them to deliver, empowering them to um, deliver with quality and on time, that's that's my role within within the organisation now, and I feel that stepping back a little bit from that you know hierarchical culture that used to be there within an organisation um, has has now shifted to a more flatter organisation where people feel more empowered, and that's that's really where um, I feel that the successes are going to come from. So one problem that uh, I think is quite often identified is the cultural and the personality differences between specific sectors. Like we we know that coders think a certain way and it's it's very different to salespeople, for example. So as somebody charged with enabling uh, team performance, how do you look at these different areas and go, okay, I have to do the following with this department to get the best out of them. And I have to do the following with this department to be able to talk to the first one that I've been looking at. 
So, 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 so you're right. I mean, there are definitely different uh, strategies needed to to get people fired up across the organisation. Um, you know, when I consider um, what what I do in terms of our technology organisations, um, it, it is it is very much about bringing the right work to these people so that they can feel challenged in what they're doing on a on an ongoing basis. Um, I think that that is really important, um, that when people come to work, that they feel that they have an interesting role, that they're learning all of the time, that they're growing in their career and growing in, um, in their career every day. I think part of that career growth is now we're into sort of a a post-COVID space uh, is looking at the new tools that are available, uh, the way Zoom, for example, has entered the public consciousness as sort of the new equipment, the new technologies that are available to get people uh, working as effectively in the office, but from, you know, from home, uh, which is something that we're seeing with the likes of Fujitsu abandoning uh, office space uh, on on mass. So do you think that the adoption of new technologies is part of that sort of sense of professional growth? Yeah, I, I think I do think that, I mean, you know, as people as people move forward um, from from this COVID thing, um, I think people will adopt a much more flexible attitude um, in working um, and tools that are becoming available um, to connect remotely, to connect with um, their colleagues and connect with their teams are going to aid that um, uh, quite well. Um, I think the other piece that you know, people have to to think about is the social connections that they make at work. And, and you know, I think there is room for innovation in that space where um, people can um, connect more meaningfully um, in a social uh, world, like, the, you know, um, those accidental collisions that you would have had at the, the coffee dock or or just walking through the corridor with, uh, with your colleagues. Um, uh, enabling that uh, remotely, I think it's something that um, will will have to be solved for. And that was Tony Sheridan, Vice President of Technology Management with Fidelity Investments, chatting with Niall Kitson. Now, the good news is that Fidelity Investments are hiring for tech roles here in Ireland. Uh, you can apply now at fidelityinvestments.ie to virtually join a global leader in fintech innovation from the safety of your own home. Just get some more information on that at fidelityinvestments.ie. That's it for our show this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland as they happen throughout the week with hourly updates and daily newsletters and more from our website at techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend and keep washing your hands. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.